Hello and welcome to another BCLA podcast. My name is Luke, CEO of the BCLA. In this third episode of the BCLA Clear podcast series, you can hear about some of the effects of contact lens materials and designs on the anatomy and physiology of the eye. The paper outlines changes to the ocular surfaces caused by contact lenses and their degree of clinical significance. Substantial research and development to improve oxygen permeability of rigid and soft contact lenses has meant that in many countries, the issues caused by hypoxia to the ocular surface has largely, have largely been negated. Dr. Melissa Barnett meets with Professor Philip Morgan to discuss some of the key findings. There is a lot more to be found in the paper, so ensure you read more if you are interested in this area. I will remind you that there are numerous other fascinating reports within BCLA Clear. Please see the BCLA website for more details. I'm Melissa Barnett. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome you to the BCLA Contact Lens Evidence-Based Academic Report podcast. For this episode, I am joined by Philip Morgan. Philip Morgan is a professor of optometry, head of optometry, deputy head of the Division of Pharmacy and Optometry, and director of Eurolens Research at the University of Manchester. He is president of both the IACLE and the Manchester Statistical Society, and is immediate past president of the International Society for Contact Lens Research. He recently chaired the BCLA Clear Report on the effect of contact lens materials and designs on the anatomy and physiology of the eye. Welcome, Philip. Yeah, Melissa, hello to you. Uh, Good afternoon from here, good morning to you. Well, thank you for joining me today. So I have a few questions about your BCLA CLEAR report that was so well done. First of all, how does blinking affect contact lens wear? Uh, Well, I think at this time, uh, the relationship between blinking and contact lens wear is not entirely clear. We did include it in our report because I think contact lenses can perhaps induce some changes in, in blinking, but I think we're at very early days uh, of this, but the reason I think we um, I wanted to um, include it was because we now have technology that allows us to measure the human blink to extraordinary um, levels of accuracy and sensitivity. So um, there are now devices, infrared cameras uh, that you know are affordable and yet will perhaps capture something like 500 frames per second and you need an infrared camera because you need you can't be shining a bright light at somebody when measuring their blink so you need a camera that's outside of the visible spectrum so yeah these new tools are allowing us i think to understand the blink in a a, a different way and the literature tells us that uh, blinking can uh, differ with um, certain forms of contact lens use On, on the whole the duration of the blink for example is increased with uh, contact lens wear compared to uh, no lens wear. But I think at the minute, exactly what this means and how this might inform clinical practice is unknown. But I can see in the coming years, we will understand this better and it will become some sort of indicator perhaps of of, um, contact lens performance. I I hope so, because it's really quite an interesting area. That's exactly right. So interesting. And all of our digital device use that all of us and our patients are doing on a day-to-day basis really yeah, well that, that, influences a, the blink too. It's an, uh, another good point. I mean, when I know when we've recruited um, for clinical projects on um, 
on digital devices you know of course you, you have some sort of uh, criteria for recruitment it might be somebody needs to be using a digital device for at least four hours per day five days per week or more something like that and of course it turns out that's basically everybody nowadays at least in a kind of an urban uh, setting in a developed country that more or less is everybody and, and maybe in other parts of the world as well so you, you're very right i think that this is likely blinking i think could become more and more interesting in the sort of modern era when we're all staring at screens for large parts of the day great point there so the bcla clear report states that there's no consensus on the impact of contact lenses on meibomian glands the most recent data suggests that contact lens wear is not associated with meibomian gland atrophy. However, it might affect meibomian gland function. What did this report teach us about contact lenses and meibomian glands? I think the report tells us, Melissa, that this is potentially an important area for us to understand in terms of contact lens uh, performance. But as you allude to, um, the literature is not very clear. In fact, there's a rather elegant table in, in the, the appropriate part of, of our report that um, encapsulates what's known about this area. And what it shows is that for every paper that shows a relationship between contact lens performance and some form of uh, meibomian gland uh, appearance or, or characteristic, for every paper that says, yes, this, is, this looks important, there's another paper that says, uh, maybe it's not. So we have you know, quite a difference in the literature between, for example, um, ocular comfort, contact lens comfort, um, when meibomian glands look compromised or, or not. Some papers say that it, that, that is a relationship. Others um, are more e equivocal. Uh, my reading, though, is that, you know, some work, there'll be variations in how people go about um, uh, assessing these sorts of relationships. And I think if, if some reports are, there's really no obvious um, link between meibomian gland uh, appearance and contact lens performance, but there's a whole bunch of other papers that says there is, say there, there is it, it seems to me it's more likely than not that there is, there is some sort of uh, relationship. You know, um, a lot of work's been done in looking at um, whether contact lenses, as, again, as you mentioned, whether contact lenses affect things like uh, quality of the meibum, expressibility of the meibum, um, do they uh, cause more plugging of the meibomian gland orifices or affect lipid layer thickness? And I, I think my reading, my understanding, what I think, looking, having looked at what we wrote in this report, is that there probably this could well be an important thing for us to consider and over time we're going to get better ways of um, imaging meibomian glands or or measuring their, uh, their physiological performance that, let's say the amount of meibom that it produced or its quality and i think this will be uh, an important indicator perhaps for contact lens success so uh, another thing we probably need to put more effort into researching so that in time our colleagues in clinical practice will be able to uh, use these sorts of measures for predicting or managing contact lens performance. That's excellent. And, and also the upcoming products to manage this meibomian gland dysfunction to, you know, the, yeah, our right. current technologies and then future technologies and pharmaceutical options. It's 
kind of an exciting time. I always it is a really, it is a really time. exciting, it is a really exciting time, and, and and I agree with you that yeah, some of these uh, uh, management options in the future could help our contact lens patients. Right, exactly. So keep our contact lens patients comfortable and keep them in contact lenses too. So I was fascinated by the portion on hyperemia. And especially the statement in the BCLA CLEAR report that hyperemia is a common response to contact lens wear, and it's easy to forget that hyperemia can be a sign that the eye is experiencing stress. So what strategies does this report suggest to manage hyperemia in contact lens wear? Well, in a sense, uh, rather like fluorescein staining, in a way, uh, hyperemia is, is an important thing for us to look at because it's a very sensitive indicator of contact lens performance. You know, the, the, the redness of the ocular surface, the conjunctiva uh, primarily will change, uh, relates to a whole load of things that are associated with contact lens use. So, you know, hypoxia would be a good example or um, the mechanical relationship between the lens and the front of the eye or some sort of uh, toxic or chemical impact. You think of perhaps getting solutions in, in your eye. Uh, so in that sense, it's, it's quite a helpful thing for us. Uh, on the other hand, um, it can be, uh, at first glance, it can be difficult to know well, which of these has caused this particular patient's eye to become red. And it becomes a you know, question of differential diagnosis, I suppose, to work out which of the causes has actually been relevant in, in, in this particular case or for a particular uh, uh, patient. But in that sense, um, it does give us something to um, assess with, a, with, a new, with a, an existing contact lens wearer. Uh, the challenge is to identify what, which particular etiology has caused the eye to become red, but by a process of clinical examination and deduction, then it, it should be possible to do that and to try and you know, rid the eye of that particular course. So if it might be hypoxic related redness, then of course, uh, prescribe a lens which is more uh, transmissible uh, to oxygen. If it might be a solution related problem, well, you know, take the patient into uh, a daily disposable lens or, um, uh, you know, even deposits maybe have been associated with, with redness. So, you know, again, maybe more frequent replacement might be the the way ahead there but in, in I think it is this um, important sign of I think use the word stress there Melissa which is I think a good one an important sign of stress or dissatisfaction of the of the eye with the, uh, the piece of plastic that we have put on, over the front of it the contact lens and, and in that sense yeah useful indicator of overall performance. Well, those are excellent excellent points there and you kind of touched on my next question which has to do with conjunctival staining and edge design that is in your BCLA CLEAR report. What did this report tell us about the importance of edge design in soft contact lenses? I think we have learned in recent years to, um, if I can put it this way, respect the edge. Uh, you know, it's something we didn't really think about, I don't think, 10, 10 years ago or more. Um, but over the past decade, I think we've begun to understand that the, the relationship between the edge of a, a soft lens, let's say, and the conjunctival surface probably plays an important role in overall discomfort. And surprisingly, maybe at first glance, it's the edges which are thin or tapered or sometimes called knife edge. It's those sorts of edges which can actually bu uh, bury themselves a little bit into the conjunctival tissue. Uh, those sorts of edges overall, on average, 
are give rise to a more comfortable contact lens than an edge which is um, thicker and it might be the case i don't know this has been totally proven but it might be the case that somehow a relatively thick edge which is sitting proud of the conjunctiva if you like is more uh, noticeable to the the lid margins as they come over the contact lens it's uh, the, the lid to some extent is kind of almost tripping over the edge of that sort of lens whereas what the eyelid would want ideally is a is a lens edge that it it's unaware uh, that is there so yeah these thinner edges these knife edge uh, type edges on soft lenses are overall more comfortable but there is a sort of a, 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 a corollary to that and that is that those sorts of edges do give rise to conjunctival staining when we add fluorescein into the ocular surface so there's some sort of interaction some change to the cells maybe can i say damage to the cells caused by this embedded lens edge that actually gives rise to this you know well-known i guess uh, uh, circumlimbal staining on the conjunctiva and uh, i know that when i talk to my students here about this i guess the term i like to use is that it's probably a price worth paying overall i would be happy to see some degree of conjunctival staining caused by the lens edge in exchange for a lens that is more comfortable i think the uh the consequences of some mild conjunctival staining are not clear it doesn't they don't doesn't seem to give rise to um, um, greater problems down the line and overall it's, it seems to be a more comfortable um, lens situation for the wearer so they're going to get happier lens wear hopefully for uh, a longer period and uh, all of this probably of course is because a lens edge that embeds itself a little bit into the conjunctiva is a more is a, is a lens that won't move very much so again there is this relationship between reduced movement with the soft lens and um, improve comfort so all of those things put together uh, mean that conjunct you, we may well see with modern lens some degree of conjunctival staining but it's probably okay um, because it on average would lead to um, happier patients actually you've noticed I've tried to stress the term on average a few times in that <laughs> response there Melissa and I think that's because it won't be the case for every patient and, and we forget sometimes you know, maybe in reports like this or academic, but when we talk about our average findings, you know, on average, you see better with lens X than lens Y. That will, of course, that's true, but that doesn't mean it's the case for every wearer. You know, the contact lenses should be prescribed on an individual basis. And some people will get better comfort with a different sort of lens edge. But you know, on average, I think it's the case that thinner edges, more conjunctival staining, greater comfort. So many excellent points in that answer. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> those, are, those are great take home uh, clinical points that you can put into practice today, too. Yeah, I hope so. The, I hope the so. importance yeah. of the lens edge. And, and you're so correct that every patient is unique, and we do have to fit contact lenses for each individual and help them in so many different ways. So not just vision, comfort, ocular physiology, but really to be able to match their needs with contact lenses. And it's we're fortunate that we have so many different types of contact lens designs um, and different tools in the toolbox, you could say, to help our patients. Right. So switching gears a little bit for a, a different question. So you've managed the international survey of contact lens prescribing trends since 1996. Do you think the BCLA clear report will influence contact lens prescribing? 
I like to th- I like to think that it will. It's really been the first initiative of this type where we tried, and, and of course led by Professor James Wilson, who did an outstanding job here. But the, the object really was to try and cover a very broad range of contact lens topics. You know, in the past, there's been these sorts of review, big review efforts, we think of the TFOS reports, and they've been really quite focused on relatively small areas, such as contact lens discomfort or um, meibomian gland uh, dysfunction. What we try to do here was really to cover all aspects of, uh, of contact lenses. Now, of course, you know, we therefore had more breadth than depth to some extent, but I think that's probably more helpful for uh, our colleagues in contact lens practice and therefore is more likely to give rise to you know changes to contact lens prescribing uh, over time i'd really like to think it would have uh, that sort of impact because it was a, i think a very impressive uh, document overall and you know we do see you know it, it, in any sort of one year or something you think oh the market hasn't changed very much the contact lens market changes very slowly but actually that is not the case compared with other medical devices we've seen in the last 20 years you know significant changes to the market in relatively uh, relatively short time so i think changes uh, you know are certainly possible in the short term i'll give perhaps give one example i was just looking at this data the other day actually Melissa. i was looking at the uptake of silicon hydrogel uh, materials they were first um made available on a daily wear basis if you know older listeners might remember they were first really uh, silicon hydros were first made available for extended wear products but by the time i think we got to 2004 we had the first silicon hydro products for daily wear and actually by the time we got to i think about 2011 or 2012 so maybe something like a, a seven year time period that material was accounting for um, something like 50 or 60 percent of contact lens fits worldwide so we went from a standing start of almost zero percent of fits 2004 to 50 or 60 percent of fits six or seven years later and i could actually cite um, examples about multifocal fitting or toric lens fitting which have changed very quickly over short periods so i think the market does respond to new information and you know as a researcher or as an academic i'd love to think that this sort of initiative the BCLA Clear Report would have that sort of impact where people, uh, you know, uh, looked at what uh, has been written, heard the presentations that have been delivered, listened to podcasts like this, and actually for it to, it to have some sort of influence on on day to day practice. Because ultimately, I guess that's what clinical research is is all about: influencing what lenses are fitted and for the ultimate benefit and improved success of of our patients. Well, thank you so much um, for all of your insights for the BCLA Clear Report. And thanks to all of our listeners for listening to this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks very much, Melissa. I've enjoyed it. One of the most popular benefits is the official journal of the BCLA, Contact Lens and Anterior Eye, covering all aspects of contact lens theory and practice. Available exclusively to all members of the BCLA, both online and via an app, or if you prefer, you can still receive a copy in the post. If you would like more information about the Clay Journal and membership benefits, visit bcla.org.uk or email us at membership at bcla.org.uk.